You've all heard of John Wayne Gacy. He's a staple in discussions of serial killers in the true crime community. John Wayne Gacy is to true crime what in sync is to boy bands. And we've all heard about his serial killer rampage over less than a decade, his Pogo the Clown costume, but there's a lot you may not know about the real facts of John Wayne Gacy's serial killer status and his victims. And we're going to uncover some of those facts tonight. I'm Kelly Barron's Brink, and this is True Crime IRL, and tonight we are live from Franklin Street Brewing Company discussing John Wayne Gacy. I have a podcast called True Crime IRL. I live in Manchester, actually. I'm an Iowa native. I've been podcasting for a couple years, so that's me. Um, I usually do my show solo, but I decided tonight for this live thing because live stuff terrifies me. I thought I would um, get, yeah, pull in Kevin and Kyle because they're kind of funny. Uh, Don't tell them I've said that. Looks aren't everything. Yeah, 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 looks aren't everything. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. My name's Kevin, and uh, I work here at Franklin Street. And uh, I actually grew up in the Chicagoland area. Yes. About the time this was going on. And he's pretty old, so he knows all all about John Wayne Gacy from the 70s. So, yeah, he's got a lot to say. And he loves to talk. So, I brought him in. And then Kyle. Kyle, everyone knows Kyle. Kyle. He's One of the owners the, here at the brewery. Yep. Thanks and for coming. He doesn't know a lot about true crime or, I mean, a lot about a lot. He knows a lot about a, a little about a lot. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, yeah. You know. So, but he's good for comic relief, I think. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of murder, though. I, he's I, I, <laughs> But the night is young. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah maybe, you know. Who knows? Maybe by the time the night's over, I'll be a big fan. So. <laughs> So John Wayne Gacy, raise your hand if you know who John Wayne Gacy is. I mean, hello, everyone knows who John Wayne Gacy is. Um, So he murdered 33, at least that we know of, 33 young men and boys between the years of 1972 and 1978. And he buried most of them in the crawl space beneath his home. He confessed to the brutal killings after being arrested in 1978. And most of the bodies were identified, but six poor victims still remain nameless. So I'm going to talk a little bit about John Wayne Gacy's early life. And I want you to know I'm not trying to sympathize with a murderer here, but he didn't have it easy. I mean, does no. anyone know about the life that he led, you know, when he what what he went through when he was growing up? Anybody? He uh Oh, and another thing I wanted to say. Audience participation is very welcome here tonight. So if you have any questions or comments or anything you want to add, just yell. Just just yell. And we're going to have some call-ins too later. So we're going to keep it super casual. It's like out of my comfort zone cash. big time but yeah very cash tonight we do have an extra mic for anybody yeah if anyone wants to come up and take it over yeah so um 
John Wayne Gacy. He was the only son. He had two sisters. So his dad was actually a World War I vet. So you can imagine the uh, coming home from World War I, the kind of like trauma and PTSD he may have had before PTSD was even a thing that was labeled. So John Sr. was an asshole, pretty much. Yes. He was um, he was abusive. He was an alcoholic. He loved his daughters and his wife, but he hated his son for whatever reason. And I think there's probably some childhood trauma back oh. back there, you know, that led to like why he took it out on his son. But he was an angry man, and he was he just mercilessly tortured his son, John Wayne Gacy Jr. John, he didn't have an easy life at all you no. know yeah and you know does that yeah, there's a lot of us that don't have an easy life and you know we don't does turn anybody into, no <laughs> but we don't turn into serial killers you know oh well that's true but it, i definitely think that that had a lot to do with it for sure oh yeah oh yeah yeah so it's like the nature and nurture aspect mm. um he had a really like horrific upbringing and I'm not saying feel sorry for who he was as a serial killer who made these decisions to do this, but you can feel sorry for the child that he was, you know? It was it was sad, very sad. So he also had a lot of health problems that prevented him from living like a normal childhood. He had a heart condition. His siblings would say he would just randomly black out when he was a kid, just black out. And they didn't know what that was from. But later they would say that, so he suffered an accident on a playground when he was a kid, like when he was like in elementary school mm -hmm. and he had a blood clot on his brain and it, it caused a lot of brain damage. He had a traumatic head injury. From a merry-go-round? It might have been a merry-go-round. Yeah, like I don't uh, know. Jungle Gym or something, yeah. I don't know, but I don't it was know. bad anyway. Bad enough to leave permanent brain damage. So if you know anything about serial killers, you know that mm -hmm. uh, it's a common yeah, denominator yeah. there that they have a brain injury or something that changes the structure of their brain. That's a common thing. So he had that going for him. He had a heart condition. He had so many things. And his mom and his two sisters just absolutely adored him and that really fucking pissed his dad off he was like you're a pansy you're like you're a girl you're you're gonna be gay like he just like constantly mentally tortured mm -hmm. his son and mm -hmm. and so that's the life john wayne gacy had he tried to compensate for that by being like just throwing himself into every extracurricular activity he could in his late teens and early 20s he was involved in politics he was like super charismatic mm. he was you know he got involved in the jc's and ev just every community organization he could possibly throw himself into john wayne gacy was involved in it not only involved in it but like a leader. People looked up to John Wayne Gacy. He was like a pillar of the community. One and of the one of the craziest things I've seen of John Wayne Gacy is a picture of him and Rosalind Carter. Yes. And like him, I mean, yeah, seriously. Like he was such an influence in local politics that he was able to draw in at that time the first lady of the United States and have his photograph taken, you know, at yeah. the, an event. Yeah. And what that what's funny about that, that was after 
He had already been in yep. prison for 18 months on a sodomy charge in Iowa. Like, hello, Secret Service. You kind of overlooked something big here. I mean, he had the Secret Service pin on his lapel. Like, he was, like, in it. Like, no matter what John Wasey Wacy, John Wacy. No, no matter what John Wayne Gacy did, people just like overlooked all the bad and they were like totally in awe of his charisma and like he could get anything he wanted and people loved him. So yeah, he had a security clearance and after yeah. all, all of that. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah. There's pictures of him with Rosalind Carter. So yeah, he is from the Chicago area. He mm. was from the Chicago area and Okay, a lot of shit happened. Let's get to that. <laughs> Let's start. So, Where do you um, want to start? Yeah, so, okay. Terrible dad, terrible upbringing. That was awful. Yeah. He was like, screw this, I'm leaving. So he, when he was 18, took his car and drove to Las Vegas. He's like, I'm going to Las Vegas. Crazy enough, he found a job working for, I want to say, like a mortuary so he was like a mortician's assistant. Weird. Sounds like a good place yeah. to start. And yeah. this is where things got a little dark. Uh, yeah. Um, he kind of scared himself, actually, with his deep, dark desires and stuff. Because yep. at one point, he crawled into a coffin of a young teenage boy who had passed away. Somebody and was already in there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't yeah. just him. He wasn't like, I'm going to sleep in this coffin. Oh. No, he was like, I want a piece of that. Which is gross. Yeah. yeah. He got in the coffin and he like um, had his way with the corpse. Yeah, I know, right? Ew. And and then he was like, oh my God, what did I do? I'm disgusted by myself. And he, the very next day, begged his dad for forgiveness. Can I know I you hate on. me, dad, but can I come back to Chicago? Because I just scared the fuck out of myself. And like, that's so a, That's he, a check in the bad box. Right? <laughs> yeah. So he went right back to Chicago and tried to bury that bad thing he did and never think about it again. But his dark side would keep resurfacing. So. That's, that's the best thing to do is just bury things. Yeah, necrophilia, you, know? you can just totally just like... Bury uh, it? Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, you get it now? Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, went back to Chicago, excelled at his career, just was like, oh, I did that thing, I'm not that person, I'm going to like bury that, yeah. So... He met a beautiful young woman. Marilyn was her name. Yeah, she came from a really well-off family, and he was like, "Hey, I want to, I want to be in that, and like, I mean, in that family." And like, he he was <laughs> <Wow>. like, um, <laughs> "Yeah." So they got married, and her family was really well-off. What? He, he might have thought that, too. He might have thought you know. that, too. No, because he wasn't into... <laughs> I mean, he was more into, like... Uh, that wasn't... Women were not his thing, really. So, um, her family bought a chain of KFC restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. Yes. And, yeah, and they yes. kind of had some money, and he was like, this is a great situation for mm -hmm. me. Her dad, yeah, was like, um, hey, you want to manage all these KFC restaurants? And he was like, hell yeah, I do. And so they moved to Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah, kind of yeah. kind of throws that whole finger-looking good kind of thing out oh, the uh, window there, Kevin. Right? Okay, yes. So... He was the manager of this lucrative 
chain of KFC restaurants. That was like kind of right when KFC was becoming cool and popular. So it was like a new thing there in Waterloo. So that's what he did. And he made like a really high, what would be equivalent to a six-figure salary today. So he was like raking in the dough. But his kind of dark side started coming out. Peeking out? Yeah, just a little bit like, oh, oh, hey. At KFC? Yep, at KFC. So uh, he and his wife were a little freaky. Like, they... Like freaky, freaky? Like freaky, freaky. They had a lot of stuff going on in the bedroom. And um, he was a really active member of the JCs. Like Fifty Shades of Freaky? I mean... Maybe not quite 50, maybe like 20 shades of gray there. But yeah, so he was really active in the JCs. In fact, he was voted Waterloo's Man of the Year because of his community involvement. Like John Wayne Gacy at one time was Waterloo's Man of the Year. Can you even imagine that? So um, what he would do is actually he grew the JCs in that area like tremendously. And the way he did it was he would host these stag nights for the men where he would show movies that they didn't see every day and, um, you know, hook them up a little bit with some on-the-side girlfriends and stuff. And and the guys loved it, and they would, you know, everyone was like, I want to be a JC now, if that's <laughs> what, what it means. So that's what he did. And, like, the JCs in the Waterloo area, they were thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, until Whoops. he... Had an oops because yeah. one of the fellow JCs had a 15 year old son that sadly, terribly, he like had his eye on and he groomed him. You know, he was a he was an abuser and he groomed this 15 year old and eventually brutally sexually abused this 15 year old child and his 16 year old friend. And he was a state representative. So like you messed with the wrong kids. Sorry. I mean, all of the kids are the wrong kids to mess with. But like his dad was kind of a big deal. He was charged and like went to prison. Okay, so he was supposed to face 10 years in prison for that 10 years He served 18 months and was released. 18 months. So he was released in 1968 for that. He should have been in prison until 1978. And all of the murders of these boys in the Chicago area happened between 1969 and 1978. Mm. So if only he had served that full sentence of a decade, none of that would have happened. So, yeah. So I, I know there's um, archival footage out there of him at uh, Anamosa State Prison. And you can see him. He's like the model prisoner. And he was one of the cooks. He was. He and, took a lot of pride yeah. in Yeah. He did like their holiday meals all the time. Did they serve KFC? I don't know. Special recipe? Yeah, probably. Crispy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which that's why he got out early. Just like in the JCs at Anamosa Prison, everybody loved him. He was a model prisoner. He was responsible for bringing in a miniature golf course for the inmates that they could enjoy. Like, everybody loved him. In fact, um, all the inmates and regular, regular inmates wore, like, a blue shirt and denim and stuff like that. But Gacy was given a white shirt. So he was, like, very privileged in prison. I don't know what it was about him, but his charisma 
mesmerized people and he could get whatever he wanted even after being convicted of sodomy of a 15 year old people still overlooked that and he lied to everyone in prison too because you know what happens to sexual predators and people who do things to kids in prison yeah what they Uh, get the cooking job they get the cooking job yeah they get they get some prison justice is what prison they justice. usually get. Yeah. Well, he didn't get any of that. He told them, I was blackmailed. It was a conspiracy. It was all consensual. All I did was, like, watch dirty movies with some people. Like, he totally duped everyone. All lies. All lies. It, it, it's really odd to think that throughout his journey, part of it came so close to here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's his tie to Iowa. I mean, he was Anamosa State Penn's most well-known inmate ever, pretty much. I think so. so. Yeah, Yeah. one of them anyway. So his dad died while he was in prison, and because of his status as, like, the cool kid in prison, they just let him out. They were like, oh, you want to go to your dad's funeral? Okay, we'll just, we'll just, you're just done with your prison sentence. (laughs) You can just go home. So he went home to Chicago. After, though, though after the sodomy charge and all of that, um, his wife divorced him, which she should, and they had had two kids. So, yeah, that was over after that. But he went back to Chicago. He found another wife. Somebody wanted to marry him. He's swept her off her feet. That's pretty damn charismatic, though, if you can just talk him out of... Out of of prison. I know. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be in prison anymore. Oh, okay. Well, and and the second wife had already had children. She did. Yeah. So so that would be just a terrible thing to have this happen to your husband or ex-husband and have children and go, oh, my God, did something go on? Crazy enough, though. She said that he was like the best stepdad ever. Sure. He was just like awesome to her and to them. But as his dark side grew, he became like a lot less awesome. He got a little abusive, combative, and he kind of pushed his second wife away. They had a house together. And one of the things they fought about the most was the smell in the house. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, oh, she was always like, there's something dead. There's a mouse. There's something in the, <laughs> something's going on here. What You need to fix this. Well, Her there body. was, there was something dead in the house. Her there body. were a lot of dead somethings <laughs> in the house. During that time in his life, he found a lot of joy in clowning around. He became a clown. He had this persona, Pogo the Clown, as you can see in some of the pictures on your tables and stuff. He would um, go to children's hospitals and do community service and charitable things dressed as a clown. And he loved entertaining kids, and he found a lot of joy in doing that. So... That's a big thing. Like, clowning was a big part of his life. And, like, he did it for seemingly innocent reasons, too. I mean, he was around kids. I don't know. What do you, I, I, I think there was, yeah, there was, you know, I, I think he was trying to definitely hide something. Yeah. So he thought, well, probably by going the extreme opposite of what my thoughts were, you know, yeah. things would work out correctly. But, no, they don't. Yeah. No. Clowns, yeah. Gross. Yeah. Stay away. He had 33 victims that we know of. I'm going to talk briefly about victim number one, Timothy McCoy, who was only 16 years old. He was raised in both Iowa and Nebraska, and he was traveling across the Midwest 
by Greyhound bus. And Gacy picked him up at a Greyhound bus station, which was something he did frequently. He would kind of like go around Greyhound bus stations asking boys if they needed a ride. And well, that's he, pretty creepy right there. Right. But in the <laughs> 70s, it's just what everyone did. In the 70s, right? it, was an was in, it was an in thing. I mean, oh, yeah, sure. you know, hitchhiking. hitchhiking. Yeah, it no. wasn't as messed up as it is now, I no. think. Yeah, Because it seems pretty messed up. It seems <laughs> really messed up. Well, yeah. 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 Seems messed up for Manchester, Iowa. Right. But for <laughs> Chicago, Illinois, probably uh, not as much. Yeah. Not so much? No. Hey. Yeah. So he picked him up from the Greyhound bus station and took him back to his house. And what happened here was really sad. But Gacy would say that he woke up in the morning with Timothy standing in his doorway with a knife in his hand immediately like his crazy brain was like he's gonna kill me like what's he doing this transient kid whatever and he immediately wrestled him to the ground took the knife and just started just stabbing timothy 16 years old in the chest killed him and while he was dying and like gurgling he just like walked into the other room cleaned the knife got it ready and what he saw when he walked into the other room was eggs bacon a table set for two all this kid was doing was making John Wayne Gacy breakfast as a thank you for taking him in for the night. So he had no malice or anything on his mind. And um, that was, yeah, miscommunication. But that was his first victim. So. <laughs> Yeah, Mis miscommunication is a yeah. Is a that's tricky like thing. a major miscommunication. So this poor kid was just trying to make the guy breakfast and say, "Hey, thanks for letting me crash on your couch, man." Yeah, go to McDonald's next time. Is that why my it. my wife was mad at me the other day when I was making breakfast? At least she didn't <laughs> kill you, though. Well, like, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, don't just the knife in the hand. Just don't walk around. Don't with stand it. over her like I this. Mean, yeah, oh, don't. Do that, that was my mistake. Yeah. yeah. Do you want toast? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we did victim number one. The last one was Robert Peast. He was only 15 years old. But if you look at a picture of him online, and he looks like he's like 30, just saying. <laughs> like, okay. So he was an honor student, like great kid. So he worked at the pharmacy in Des Plaines in 1978. And it was his mom's birthday. And she came into the store and they were like, getting a couple things that they needed for her birthday party. And he was, he s said, hold on a second, mom. I got to run and talk to this guy because John Wayne Gacy had a construction business and he would frequently employ, you know, young boys and stuff. So, and he paid a lot of money too, like, a, like double or triple what they would make at like other part-time jobs. So he was like, I got to go talk to John because he's offering me a job. So he did that. And... Gacy got him in his car and was very brazen with his final victim because he just like drove off. And um, Rob was like, no, dude, I got to get back. My mom's like literally in the store waiting for me. And he just took him, took him back to his house. And eventually he would dispose of the body uh, by dumping it over the bridge into the river because... He had run out of room in his crawl space of his house. There were too many bodies in there, so he Ew. had to start doing something different. Do you want to see how big his crawl space was? I do want to see. Okay. How big was the crawl space I'll of the house? You. Now, imagine this. It's a small brick ranch home. Imagine 33 decomposing bodies 
So what Kevin is doing right now is he is um, measuring out the size of the crawl space that John Wayne Gacy had in his home, and he's showing the audience right now what that looked like and the size of it. And it's crazy because it's not very big. 30, I'm sorry, 27 dead bodies of big, strong young men. It's a lot of bodies. Over the course of a few years. Imagine the smell of that. I don't and have that's what nearly is, that many bodies. Right? You have only like five or six. Five or six. Yeah. I, I mean, they, that's doable. One, one, yeah. thing, one thing I read, and I know this is kind of probably jumping ahead a little bit, but one thing I read was one of the police officers um, said that when they were exhuming the bodies, the, and this is going to be gross, but like the bodies were decomposed and the, they were liquefying and they were running into the backyard of his house. I mean, it's just so disturbing. And he had this construction business, so he would employ these kids, and that that was like the a lot of a lot of his victims were these kids that he employed, and um, they thought, sadly, that they were like digging holes in his yard to do like plumbing work or so, like trenching or something like that. No. He had them dig their own graves because he knew what he was going to be doing with them and he was too fat and lazy to do it himself. So he had these strapping young men digging holes in the yard. That was their grave. Um, So his final victim, Rob Peast, the way they ended up finding all of his victims and bodies was because of Rob Peast. You know, back in the day when you'd turn in your film at the pharmacy and you got a receipt for it and you had to, like, get a number and turn it back in, like, when there were real pictures and no, like, iPhones and stuff. So he developed a roll of film. He had the receipt in his coat pocket, and that is what was in his coat pocket when he left the pharmacy and got in Gacy's car. That receipt is what they found in the trash, in Gacy's trash, and that is what prompted them to tie this victim to Gacy's house. Like, that is the only bit of evidence they had to get a warrant and all of that. But they only found that on their third time investigating, and that's because police planted that evidence. So that's something that a lot of people don't know, but if if it weren't for that planted evidence, he never would have been caught. He never would have been able to be charged with that crime. So, Yeah, he, I mean, uh, and, and the caller might talk about this a little bit, but uh, police staked him out for quite a while, and he, he got to the point that he knew that they were staking him out in his house. Just, it's funny, okay. he would invite them into the house, like to ask them if they wanted to use the restroom or whatever. And they were the police officers sitting outside of his house, inviting him in. And um, and I don't want to get too much into it because I don't know if he's yeah. going to mention it. So Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a special guest who is calling in. This is, this is an attorney in Chicago. His name is Bob Mata. He has a podcast called The Defense Diaries. And that podcast is all about John Wayne Gacy and his trial and all the real stuff that happened, including the evidence planting. And um, Bob's dad was John Wayne Gacy's attorney, so in the in the in the case, so he's going to talk a little bit about this. If you guys are good with that, all right, okay. So Bob, whoops. yeah, you're on speaker with an audience. Hi, audience. How are you? Uh, hey, so, Bob. 
Tell everyone a little bit about your background on the John Wayne Gacy case and just just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I, I heard a vicious rumor that you were talking about the creep tonight. Um, <clears throat> a little bit about John Wayne Gacy and how he's been a part of my life for 40 years. Uh, my dad represented him back in 1978 in his trial. And uh, I was probably about 10 years old at the time. Um when I turned uh, 21, my dad gave me a very strange gift. Uh, he gave me a shoebox full of his audio recordings of himself and Gacy preparing for trial. I sat on those things for 30 years. Um, at some point, I decided that I was going to start a podcast, which I have. Uh, it's called Defense Diaries. I'm doing a pretty deep dive uh, into the Gacy case and uh, it's been a lot of fun and it's been yeah. very very interesting cool well talk about the thing that a lot of people don't know which is that planted evidence that receipt for the photos and how that changed the face of the trial and um, you know what that did yeah so you know, the concept that we were kind of going into the podcast with was I was going to kind of do a a narrative serialized style of podcast where we would kind of go through the 10 day investigation because they basically got Gacy in 10 days after he had been killing for six years. Uh, they got him pretty quick. So I start digging into the police reports and start noticing that the key piece of evidence which they were able to get Gacy with, which was this little photo receipt that was left allegedly in the pocket of the last victim, Rob Peast, by one of his co-workers at their job at the pharmacy. That particular pharmacy had a, you know, back old school when you had to develop film, you know, she had turned in a roll of film, filled out the envelope, got the receipt, and she claimed she left it in Rob's pocket. Rob then left with Gacy He's never seen again. So they do a search on the 13th, they being the Displains police. They they claim that they found the receipt inside the house, which right then and there was the direct connection that Rob Peast had been in that house. I start looking through the evidence logs because I am a criminal defense attorney, so that's kind of what I do. Um, and and it, it becomes evident that that particular receipt is not listed on any of these evidence logs. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? Then I start interviewing the cops, whatever cops are still alive. I mean, it's a 40-year-old case at this point, so a lot of them have passed. Some of them haven't. So three of the cops I ended up talking to, they all disclosed to me that the receipt was not ever in the house, and they were told that it was found in the outside garbage that one of the cops had taken out of a garbage truck and given to their lieutenant and that they brought it back to the station and they were digging through the garbage and they claimed they found it there. I don't think that happened either. Um, so it turns out that that receipt then gets planted into evidence, not in the way that like a cop would plant like a bag of Coke in somebody's car. Yeah. What they do is they inject it into the property evidence sheets. So saying that it was found in the house much later, like after the investigations over before trial, so when the trial comes to be, you know, my father and, and Sam Amaranti, the other lawyer, are looking at it, and it appears that this thing was found in the house. So it gets just kind of passed over, and they're 
they're basically trying it uh, with the insanity defense, so they're not focusing on innocent or uh, innocence or guilt like we typically would in a case where you're like, I didn't do it, you got to prove it. You know, they're they're basically trying to prove he's insane. So it's mind blowing. It really is. It's like it's, yeah. it's hard to kind of explain it in two minutes, but it changes the entire narrative. If you've ever watched anything about Gacy, that property receipt is the key piece of evidence that got him convicted. So the question becomes, did the ends justify the means, you know, because the guy was a monster. They didn't know that when they planted the evidence, but it turned out that, you know, I mean, that particular plant (laughs) reaped some pretty big benefits for society at large. Yeah. What would have happened if not for that piece of evidence? Like maybe he would have never been charged or convicted? I, I, well, he, he couldn't... If they didn't have that evidence, they didn't have enough to arrest him. That that was the problem. Yeah, yeah, It was like a gut feeling, like the lieutenant and the, the mother of the last victim were 100% convinced that Gacy was the guy that had kidnapped and killed their son, and they just couldn't get him. They just couldn't get the evidence. They had already done one search, and they couldn't get back in the house unless they had something else that gave them probable cause to search the house and they did, they didn't have it, you know, so yeah. they got, got desperate and they did what they had to do to get back into the house. So when they, they go in front of the judge for the second warrant, they use that, that photo receipt the, the main reason that they get probable cause. They get back in the house, they go to the crawl space, they dig, they find bones, you know, and the rest is history. The rest from there. is history, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if that if that would have gotten found out at any point during the trial, what would have happened is all of the bones that they found on that second search would have been suppressed, meaning they would have had zero evidence and Gacy would have walked. Wow. Which is scary. That's scary. Yeah. So this was Bob Mata, everybody, and he has a podcast called The Defense Diaries. So – and. He, it's all about John Wayne Gacy. So if this is a subject you guys are interested in, listen to the defense diaries on all the platforms and all of that. So right. thanks, Bob. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Thank you so Bob. much, Bob. I will talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Keep killing it. <laughs> Thank all you. Right. All right. Bye. Yeah. Okay. So there was that. That was cool. <laughs> and now, now where were we? You know, that's basically how Gacy was foiled. His his whole thing was foiled. And uh, he uh, he went to prison after that. And, you know, he was executed. And raise your yes. hand if you know John Wayne Gacy's last words. Anyone know those? I'll buy you a beer if you know them. Oh, trivia. Yeah, uh-huh. trivia. Nobody, nobody? I, I think I know what it, it is. What you they tell. Are. Well, it's because I'm reading it right now. <laughs> well, don't say it. Say it. Say it vulgarly. Kiss my ass. I, I bet he That's didn't he say it like it. that too. Those were his last words. So, what that was his was final it. meal? His final meal, funny enough, was a full KFC meal. KFC. He didn't have enough of it. White meat or dark meat? That's, um, don't know. I mean, I bet it was maybe a little of both. So. It was finger licking yeah. good. Oh, while he was in prison, he became an artist. Yeah. Did you know that? So, if you look at the artwork on your, on your table. table you're going to see a lot of his original artwork. Yeah. It it's valuable um to strange people. I've looked up the val Yeah. <laughs> What's your definition of valuable? Murderbilia is what it is. It's yeah. like 
I've seen his pieces of artwork go for a few thousand dollars. Yeah. But so. as as his case and his notoriety grows, you know, the the the, the future generations aren't going to be alive or weren't alive when, you know, all this was going to go was going on, so it's as his, you know, lore grows, the price of these are going to grow too. Yeah. For sure. I, I mean, they're one of a kind priceless works of right. art, so. Yeah. They're not all clowns. If you look like he did a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ here. Um, skulls. He did all sorts of things. He did. He was obsessed with the seven dwarfs. Crazy enough. Yeah. yeah he... I saw you had an option in John Wayne Gacy art in Independence? Really? Wow. They all were creepy. <laughs> How much? Oh, okay. Huh. Oh, geez. I totally would have bought that for 150 Yeah. 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 Better than crypto or anything. So, uh, um, so he... I mean, he admitted to it. He admitted to who, the names, and there were six, though, that he didn't admit to. But um, And, you know, um, dental records and missing persons that right. they, like, would compare it to and stuff like that. They were I, able to figure out who it I, was. I did just read an article about this that the last, I, I think the last victim was actually identified in either 2020, like this year or last year. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, so, so cool. they had put out composite sketches of the last two victims that they didn't know or didn't have identified. And um, that, along with DNA, which they didn't have back then, started um, helping identifying these un- unidentifiable victims yeah. that they had. DNA. So, yeah, that DNA. wasn't a thing back then. Yep. Yeah. All they went by was dental records. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Crazy. Do you have a question? Or a comment? We have another caller. So this is another true crime podcaster who had some things to talk about with about John Wayne Gacy. So let's hear what you have to say. Have you? So are you there, caller? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. So this is Justin from the Generation Y, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a little podcast. No one's heard of it. Yeah. No. Nobody's heard of it. Um. <laughs> like, yeah. Ooh, so um, burn. So, have you done an episode? What? I thought I heard of it. You, I'm sure you probably did not hear of it. Um, <laughs> it's not big at all. The, so, did you do an episode on John Wayne Gacy? I did not, actually. Why? I uh, never. Um, just kind of got out of the serial killer thing because a lot of serial killer stories just turn into, uh, you know, a trail of dead bodies and shattered families. and. Yeah. I no longer care about what makes these people tick because I think that we all know what makes them tick. And it's a kind of a combination of nature and nurture and them getting screwed up as a child. Yeah, so, totally. You know. Definitely that. Yeah. And, you know, it, when we think about like generations, like we're generation X, you know, Gacy was a boomer, but a lot of serial killers 
came out in the 70s. And what was up with the silent generation that turned boomers into serial killers? What were they doing? What's, what's the problem there? That sounds like a problem. They were too hard on their kids. So you're saying, like, from now on, we're not going to have serial killers? Because all the uh, younger... No, are... just not as many. And, and we all have phones now, so I don't think they'll be able to get away with it as yeah. well. That's true. So have you done any serial killer stories on your podcast? Yes, we've done several. Uh, we've done uh, uh, Ed Gein. We've done Richard Ramirez. We've done uh, Dahmer. A lot. But okay. never Gacy. <laughs> what do you think's yeah. the, like, the common denominator in all these people like what makes them tick what makes um them go from like just a pissed off messed up person to like doing what they did I think everyone's different, and you have that sliding scale of nature and nurture. Some people could just be born bad, but you always have to have some sort of nurturing part that might trigger them. Yeah. I don't know. I, what about, I, think, there's, yeah. I, I think everyone's different. Did you have a joke you wanted to tell? i still love you (laughs) okay all right everybody that's generation y justin give him a round of applause okay cool well have a great night justin thanks for calling in okay i'll talk to you later okay bye So that's what I've got about John Wayne Gacy. Anyone else have anything to add? Well, I I just remember growing up. Yeah. I was 12 years old when he was caught. And I was in a suburb of Chicago, south of where all that took place. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my mom and dad being freakishly overprotective about anywhere that I went. Yeah. Because it was just all over the news. Mm -hmm. It was constantly talked about. Um, and you were a very handsome young boy. Well, of course I'm I sure. was. Yeah, I was. Ask my wife. <laughs> Did you spend a lot of time on merry-go-rounds or uh, miniature golf courses? Well, or uh, Greyhound stations. That's Greyhound where I hung Did out. you ever no? go yeah. to Sheboygan? I have been to Sheboygan. <laughs> have you? Never. Yeah, well, that's oh, our next podcast, yeah. Sheboygan. It's Anyways, running joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really a freaky time because a lot of the parents, especially of young boys... Um, became like super overly protective of everybody, and it, it, you know nobody want no, they wouldn't let the kids go out after dark, which is our thing. You know we mm-hmm. go out ride bikes after dark. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it was just really weird. I've never, hopefully, I never have to experience anything like that again, or my kids or their kids. Or, well, now you're old, so he I know, wouldn't nobody cares. Anymore. Nobody cares <laughs> except for my wife. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, very odd. The thing that always fascinated me about him is just how brash he was about it. Yeah. You know, especially when he got in caught. Yeah, I mean, his mugshot photo is him smiling. Like, what, like what the fuck are they going to do? Like big time smile, like yeah. laughing. Like, right. like I said, he just thought he owned everybody and everything. That was his thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really the way to go, though, with the yeah. smile and the mugshot, I think. I mean, Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because you look like you did it. If you don't, if you're not smiling, you that's just immediately true. look oh, like yeah. you you did that's it. That's true. That's true. That's if I yeah. If so I we ever, need to. Wor- I so will smile in mine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if Kyle's smiling, watch out. Right. right. And if anyone ever asks you to take a polygraph test, don't do it ever. Oh really? I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, don't don't do it. <laughs> Polygraphs? Yeah, don't do polygraphs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well. This has been True Crime IRL, and I'm your host, Kelly Barings Brink. And until next time, lock your doors, people, because you never know who's out there lurking. Simple mantra. Yeah. Keep your doors locked. Lock your doors. Um, So in a month, 
We're going to do this uh, the second Thursday of every month, and we're going to do a different case every time. You know, this is the first time we're ironing out the kinks and stuff. So, But come join us next time and tell your friends. And if you have any suggestions on who you'd like to hear next time, let us know. We got some ideas, but, you know, um, if you guys have anything... Yell it out, you know yeah. that, that that's cool. Does if anybody? You've, yeah, if go you've ahead. got a favorite murderer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you have a favorite murderer. Yeah, you want to come it? come talk in the microphone? Come over here. Come over here. Yeah. Here, give her the give her the give her that one. What? Personally, I am a Dahmer fan. You like Dahmer? No. Dahmer, but initially Ed Gein. Yeah. Yes, that scares yes. me a little. That's kind of. Well, yeah, I'm kind of weird. I've had people tell me, stop being so kinda. morbid for the love of God. But yeah. I just can't. So I've got people I went to school with. They know I'm weird. So yeah. what can well, I say? Well, we're all weird, aren't we, if we're being honest? We're, I mean, everyone yeah. in this room is here to so, talk about murder. So we're all a little weird. Yeah, Ed Gein is someone we were actually talking about doing yeah. next time. I think that initially just... Um, the whole backstory, the tie and you know, with Silence of the Lambs. And oh, it, yeah. Just kind of the the wormhole. I went down reading about it yeah. and finding out, you know, his childhood. When you were asking childhood questions, I thought, well, I don't know about John Wayne Gacy, but I know a lot about Ed Gein. Absolutely. So, yeah. Common so that's, denominator. That's my there. suggestion. Yeah. So yeah. We, can, we, can, we can have Ed Gein next month and everybody come dress as their favorite movie character inspired by Ed Gein. There have been a lot. There have been several. Leatherface, so, yep. um, totally House of Buffalo a Thousand Bill. Corpses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? I don't uh, know. Psycho. Psycho. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Lots oh. of Ed Gein inspiration. Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bu- Buffalo Bill, Silence of yeah. Lambs, all that. It yeah. Puts its lotion on yeah. the skin. It puts the lotion on the basket. Yeah. So okay. Another thing, listen to my podcast, obviously. Um, I have stickers and business cards and everything on the tables. And if you don't want to, like, look too hard, just come up and open your camera and scan this code. And my podcast comes right up. So scan the code, the QR code here on the poster and that'll be my podcast. I do a lot of, like, Midwest cases, but I branch out to everything, too. So yeah, give it a listen and see what you think. And if you want to come back next month, please do. Yeah. Yay. Do, Yay. You guys, do you guys listen to any of her stuff? No. You don't think so? I don't know. No. Have Has you guys anyone any listened to my podcast before? I have. Oh, I have. Okay. Thank you. Do you have any questions for her about any previous cases or podcasts? Go ahead. Well, I just have a question about podcasting. Yeah. Can you make some money on podcasting? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the question was, can you make money off of podcasting? Absolutely. I mean, it's a job like any other job. And what you do is you build up your following and you it goes kind of like by downloads, how many downloads you get and stuff. Advertisers pay to advertise on your show. So that's basically how it works. And then, yeah, it's, it's mostly sponsorships and advertising. Yeah. So follow Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. (laughs) Did you have a question, Matt, or a comment? No, he just said he listened to my podcast. What? what? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why clowns? (laughs) Why was he into clowns? He said it made him kind of revert back to his childhood when he kind of like felt loved and it just comforted him and he liked to bring joy to children. 
and people. So that's just, according to him, it was innocent. Not like, yeah. I don't believe that, but yeah. There, there, there is, there is a, a, a common thought out there or he had kind of a high-pitched voice when he was Pogo mm-hmm. and kind of did a kind of a high-pitched clowny kind of voice. And apparently the rumor is out there that he said that he used that voice when he killed. Yeah. Fun fact there. Wow. Tuck your kids in at night. Do that clown voice. No wonder we're afraid of clowns. Yeah. Right. Clowns weren't as like feared back in the day as they are now since his trial and what he did. Um, if you've watched the Peacock documentary on John Wayne Gacy, he talks about that. He's like, clowns used to be fun. Nobody was scared of clowns until me. So, yeah. Good reason for that. Shark went up. Yeah. And we used to like KFC too. I still oh, kind of like KFC. <laughs> Anybody else have anything? Anything? Any? Uh-huh. That's a good question. Actually, this one right here was inspired by Jeffrey Dahmer. This this painting right here, he was inspired by another serial killer. So he did a couple of Jeffrey yeah. Dahmers, didn't he? Yeah, he and did. There was another one I think floating around here. Yeah. But then but on the yeah. flip side, yeah, like he's got Christ there and and happy I, clowns. I think that was because he was a member clown. of the JCs. Oh, JC's the JC's Jesus Christ. Yeah. There you oh, go. Oh yeah. Duh. There you go. Man, you're always thinking, Kyle. That's why we have you here. Yeah. 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 Well, ironically, he did bury some under concrete. Um, he buried some bodies under the driveway. He poured fresh concrete and buried a few of them. But I think it was just a convenience factor. I mean, it was right there, accessible in his own house. And and like I said, he had them boring out these holes underneath the house and around the house to dig their own grave. And I don't know. It's kind of crazy, though, because like the smell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, first police officer that went down into the crawl space after they discovered it said he stepped off. It was a, a the access to the crawl space was in his bedroom. And he went down a short ladder, and it was it was a, a short crawl space, so he had to bend over, you know, to crawl around. So he stepped off, he put his hand down, and he felt a crunch. And come to find out, he had actually put his hand through a rib cage. Oh. And I mean, can you imagine that? Just th- that that feeling, that that sound, um, and then to find as many more as there was. I mean, the guy was just he was fucked up. Totally, he was fucked up. Um, no, I I think they've changed their names. I've only heard his sisters talk, yeah. but not. Yeah. I don't know anything about his children yeah. really. But um, his sisters actually were there uh, the day that he was executed, or before yeah. they moved him. Um, that so had been the day before, um, and you know they said it's still their brother. Yeah, they still loved him. Look, he was so normal, like seemingly normal to everyone, his family, his siblings, like you sure he about was that? just his sister was both of his sisters were like he just seemed so normal. Yeah, he had some quirks and stuff, but like never would have thought he'd do this, right? So remember that as you look at each other, okay? Mm. Mm. Statistically, mm. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 What have they done with this property where they found all the bodies? 
what have they done ah. with his property? Do you know? I know. I di- you yeah, I know. What? So actually, they uh, a few years after they they got well, actually, I think it was like a year after they got all the the bodies there, they dug up the entire property, and there's actually a new house on that property, and last I knew, it was for sale. Oh, I wonder why. But I mean, but in the state of Illinois, they do not have to divulge if there's any murders that went on in the house where other states you do or deaths. And so, yeah. Did anything happen in Iowa that they they know that? I'm not familiar enough. Oh, like as far as murders? No. Not that they know. Not that they've tied to him other than that sodomy charge where he like raped a 15 and a 16-year-old, but no murders as far as I know. When yet. when he lived in Illinois at the age of 13, they, roughly, uh, there was some disappearances of some very young children in the town that he lived in, but they, how, can, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? Did it start yeah. that early? You don't it, know. Yeah. Yeah, and I find it hard to believe that a 13-year-old could cover his tracks that well, you right. know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else have any questions, or is everyone ready to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you could probably, now with the FBI, uh, be more advanced? Like, how did the FBI adjust to this case? This is a national case. How did they adjust to the tactics or... Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, what do you... Definitely. I mean, um, criminal profiling, um, you know, was kind of a new thing in the early 70s. It was started, but I, I they definitely learned a lot from this case. And, you know, you look at other cases like Dahmer and BTK, um, you know, it can be the person walking down the street next to you, you know, so how do they pinpoint those personality traits that lead people to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. So between FBI, between stuff like that, profiling and definitely DNA evidence anymore, and the surveillance that we have, uh, somebody was saying about, you know, you re- it's hard to commit a murder anymore with a cell phone in your hand yeah. because they ping it everywhere you go. So I think if he had stuck with the transients, the randoms from the bus stop or whatever, he definitely could have gotten away with it. But that connection with those kids that worked for him and things like that, if he I I don't think today he would have gotten away with that. But when it's random, even today, sadly, like you can still kind of get away with that. So and, and most murders are not random. They're committed by someone, you know. I think they would have tied him to those, but not the random ones. Yeah. That I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Nothing I've read has talked about that. I think, honestly, like, it was a, for a serial killer, kind of a short amount of time where all these happened. I mean, it was less than a decade. So. I guess if he was going to do it, doing it in a big city like Chicago or even the suburbs. Where kids go missing all the time, right? Or transients coming into town. Um, some of these kids were, you know, like Kelly said, they were at bus stops. Yeah, things like that. Lots they were of new hitchhikers, town. and yeah. you know, in the seventies, hitchhiking was the thing the cool to thing. do. Like you just, and it was safe, relatively safe. But now we know it wasn't. But yeah, yeah. Right. 
A lot of people were doing that then. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I want to say he was executed in 92, I think. 92 or 94. And he did, um, if you tune into Peacock on, it's a streaming network, they did a really good documentary, just him talking. And he talks about, all of it but in his psychopathic style he blames the victims he says it was all consensual i was framed that was i was blackmailed none of that really happened and yeah but yeah he talks in his own words it's pretty cool yeah yeah and listen to the defense diaries too yeah (laughs) yeah it was 94 was it 94 Yeah. yeah And it was lethal injection, yeah. Yeah, and his last words, yeah. Kiss my, my ass, ass. KFC, <laughs> fried shrimp, french fries, strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Because you want to make sure you got a Diet Coke Ooh. in you yeah, before you go. That helps with all the calories and stuff. Sure, yeah. you got to watch calories. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? No? Okay, well, we'll wrap it up, I guess. But thank you Thanks, so guys. much, everybody, for coming. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you for coming out to Franklin Street. Um, you guys are welcome to hang around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah. We're <laughs> I, that's open. a that's a resounding yes. Yes. Well, you, you know, I never know what's going on anymore. <laughs> Just keep uh, on. Please leave. Yeah. No, don't. Yeah. We appreciate yeah your support and coming out to this, and we'll see you again next month. Yeah. Second Thursday of every month. Yeah. And maybe we'll have a clown this time. Maybe, except that doesn't really apply for Ed Gein. No. Well, we could. We'll have an. And we could have a lampshade. Human skin lampshade. <laughs> Want some cereal bowls? Yeah. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Thanks. everybody. Good job. Yeah, you did. Yeah.